The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night. It's the fourth day of September 2022, Labor Day weekend. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Uh, so glad you could be with us. Some great people in the lineup tonight. Both former Mets hurlers and uh, at some point in their careers. Up first, we'll speak to four-time All-Star and 1987 world champion Jeff Reardon. And in the second half, we'll welcome in the southpaw of the group, Pete Falcone. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy this edition, please, tonight of Sports Talk New York on GVB. As always, great people, great sports talk. Great memories up ahead tonight. As always, I want to remind you about social media. We are out there. We're on Facebook, WGBB Sports Talk New York. You'll find so much show information, sports information. Give us a look. You can give us a like then. So follow us on LinkedIn and also on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue WGBB. And if you, if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're going to be out on the website during the week, and you can listen to them at your leisure. Well, our first guest was nicknamed the Terminator for his intimidating presence on the mound and his 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Uh, a long-time closer, he became Major League Baseball's all-time saves leader in 1992 with his 342nd save, breaking Raleigh Fingers' previous record of 341. This gentleman's record ended up being broken the following season by Hall of Famer Lee Smith. He currently ranks 11th on the all-time save list with 367. It's an honor and a pleasure to welcome back to the show tonight, Jeff Reardon. Jeff, good evening. Hey, how you doing? Ah, we're doing great. How are things down by you? Uh, everything's going fine. It's a little hot down there. Yeah. <laughs> Not not too bad up here. We, we, we uh, well, we can wish for better things with the Mets, but we won't go there right now. Now, right. you uh, you played uh, un well. The, you signed by the Mets as an undrafted free agent. You went to Lynchburg, and then you went to Double uh, A Jackson in the Texas League. Uh, you wanted to remain in the starting rotation, but the Mets had other ideas. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, it was actually Joe Torrey. Uh, okay. That was uh, nine and three my first year as a starter, and seventeen and four. And you know we had the instruction league, and they invite all the top prospects down there. And he said he wanted to make me a reliever because that was the quickest way to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. And you know I was young, couldn't argue with Joe Torrey. Yeah, and. uh I guess he he wasn't uh, a Hall of Fame manager back then, Jeff. Uh, from what oh, I, no. <laughs> from what I recall, no. <laughs> no. 
Did him manage the Yankees, he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. You, you got that. You got that right. Now, do you remember your uh, your debut, your first game? It, I think it was August 25th against the uh, Cincinnati Reds. you remember that day? Oh, yeah. I remember vividly. Yeah. I, uh, you know, they were the big red machine mm-hmm. still. And I got the first two guys out. I think it was uh, Dave Collins and someone else. And then George Foster came up. And I got a mowing two. And I threw a fastball that broke his bat. And it stuck in the umpire's throat. Ooh. And that's when they came out later and made the umpires wear those throat plates. Right. And not not to bring it back, but Foster then hit a home run up. Oh, boy, <laughs> yeah. Well, he hit a lot. He, <laughs> he hit a lot, Jeff, not just a few. Now, as we were speaking about uh, Joe Torrey, then manager of the Mets. He wanted to go with another right-hander, Neil Allen, as his closer, right? Yes. And not- you know, Neil was a Neil was a bonus baby. Uh huh. I, I was undrafted out of college, and you know they had a lot of money invested in him back then, and they chose to take him over me. Yeah. Well, he he didn't last too long anyway, Jeff. So don't don't worry about that now. Yeah. Uh, now. They ended up dealing you to the Expos for the great Alice Valentine, who uh, was famous uh, when he got here for just stepping in the bucket and uh, gun-shy from getting hit in the face. I mean, he probably can't blame the guy, but he he did very little when he was here with the Mets. But uh, Montreal was good to you. Yeah, they were very good. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the year, they made me the closer. You know, they didn't win playoffs. You know, we, we lost the Dodgers, but, you know, I got my dream job as the closer, so I was very happy with Montreal. Yeah, I read where uh, somebody yelled that you go back to New York, and that, that sort of uh, made you feel at home, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Jim Fanning was the, the skipper at the time, I believe, in Montreal. And uh, the the playoff series where you faced off against the Phillies, you saved both of those games, three uh, one victories. You remember those games? Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. And uh, what, ha- what was it? Uh, you got Gary Matthews to pop out to to end a threat. Yeah, I think I had a couple saves, and you know we were. We were the surprise team, mm-hmm. you know, that year. And Fanning made me the closer when Dick Williams got fired. And that pretty much made me the closer I became. Because mm-hmm. Dick Williams was using the veterans like Woody Fryman, Elias Sosa, Bill Lee, and from what I heard, uh, the GM didn't like that and ended up firing Dick Williams, who, of course, you know, he was a big name. Sure, yeah. Another Hall of Fame manager. 
Yeah, Hall of Fame. Now, you mentioned that series against the Dodgers. Uh, you, you guys, I, I believe you lost that series, Jeff. We're speaking with Jeff Reardon tonight on the program. You gave up a two-run homer to Pete Guerrero and a solo homer to Sosha, and uh, they kind of broke it open against you. Yeah, they did. I, I didn't really have a good series against the Dodgers. Um, I had a little arm trouble, but I was still able to pitch. And like, you know, Rick Monday's home run, you know, when I was warming up with Steve Rogers, you know, I had no clue that Steve was warming up to go in the game. Because mm-hmm. we were down to that last game. And I was a closer, and when the umpire came out and gave the call, you know, wiping his beard, because I had a beard, I walked into the game. And he goes, no, no, he wants Steve. Oh, yeah. Are you sure? And he said, yeah. So that's when Steve Rogers gave up the famous home on the Rick Monday, which I feel really bad about. For Steve, because he had a great career, and also I didn't realize that year I faced Rick Monday four times and struck him out all four times. Hmm. But back back then they didn't go by stats like they do now. Yeah, they probably would have never done that. You know, if it was like today's analytics and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, they still talk about that Rick Monday home run in Montreal. Boy, that's stuck in their craw up there. Oh, Steve Rogers. Yeah. Tells me he is so sick, you know, about talking about that. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was a great pitcher. He just said, uh, you know, he got the first two guys out, but he gave up a home run. Yep. And then they they still don't let them forget about it, as you said. Now, oh, they never will. No, but they still like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the uh, that would be the Expos' only postseason appearance in the thirty six year history of the franchise, folks. So you can see why that loss really bugs them up there. And uh, Jeff found a home as the Expos' closer. But things turn a little sour in Montreal, Jeff. And Murray Cook reasons that it's a luxury to have a closer, a guy like you on the club, if you're not getting many opportunities to pitch with the lead. Right. And Murray Cook, I mean, I, I say he was the downfall of, the Expos, because he, in 85, he traded Gary Carter. 86, he traded Dawson. And then he traded me. Right. So, so he was unloading all of us, you know, which I didn't think uh, think helped the Expos franchise. No, not at all. You, you're you're very correct in that, in that uh, observation, Jeff. But Minnesota was more than happy to welcome you. They, they uh, op- welcomed you with open arms there. That's where you got the Terminator moniker. Uh, I remember Frank Viola saying that uh, a lot of games that we lost in the past are going to be wins now because we have Jeff Reardon our, on our side. They, they uh, really gave you a good welcome in Minnesota. Yeah, they did. And uh, the reason for that was, 
Bob Gebhardt was the assistant general manager of Montreal. And then he got the job to be the assistant general manager of the Twins. Uh-huh. And he, he was the one that orchestrated that trade to get me over there. He told me all about it. Uh, he told Andy McFowl, the GM, hey, you know, you, you need a closer. This is the guy. Cause, I mean, he really knew me well because he was actually a bullpen catcher, you know, as a coach. And he, he knew what I was made of. So, I mean, I have to thank him for him getting me to Minnesota. Definitely, yeah. That, that's for sure. To have, to have a guy like that on your side doesn't hurt. Now, I remember Kirby Puckett saying of you, Jeff, that the mark of a great pitcher is when he can bounce back the way you did after giving up a game-winning homer in the uh, in the playoffs. And Tom Kelly put you right back in there, and you did the job. That's what Kirby Puckett said. What, what, what do you think of Kirby as a teammate? Well, I always tell anybody that asks me, and they'll, they'll ask me who was the biggest superstar you play with, and I always say Kirby Puckett. Mm-hmm. And I always say he was the nicest guy I ever played with and the nicest guy to the fans. And Tom Kelly, I have the most respect for of any manager I played for. A good man, yes, you're you're right in that observation, Jeff. Definitely a good baseball man. Tom Kelly deserves more credit than he gets uh, from the folks in Minnesota. And Puckett, of course, an underrated Hall of Famer because of the uh, the shorter career that he had. But he was forced into retirement by his ocular issues. But uh, an, another, as you say, a, a great ball player. Now the World oh, yeah. Series. Talk about the World Series in in eighty seven, Jeff. What what do you remember about that? Oh, that was uh, the best time of my life. I mean, you know, we we only had eighty seven wins. Mm-hmm. We won uh, three playoff series. You know, we were down two games and up in the St. Louis, and we were coming home and. Tom Kelly said, hey, you know, just everyone don't talk. Just go out and play. Mm-hmm. Then we won two, and then I went back and forth, and we won game seven. And I think a lot of that had to do with how great the fans were. I mean, when we came back from Detroit beating them, they had like 103 wins. They were popping off that they were going to sweep us. And Tom Kelly said the same thing. Don't say anything. Go out and play. We beat them in five. We came back to the Metrodome. They announced on our bus that we were going to the Metrodome. And there was going to be some fans there. So we're thinking maybe 10,000 fans. The bus pulled in the field. And there was 55,000 people there. <laughs> So I, so I think they helped us a lot. Yeah. They, they got behind the club that year, definitely. We're speaking with the great closer Jeff Reardon tonight on Sports Talk New York. 
Now, they granted your free agency after the 89 season, Jeff, and you signed a three-year contract with the Boston Red Sox, who people may not know was your hometown club. Yes. It was very hard to leave Minnesota. I wish I hadn't because they won two years later. Mm-hmm. But growing up in Massachusetts as a free agent, and that was, you know, I was getting older, 35, and that was the best deal I had on the board. So, I mean, I mean, what other thing should I do is sign with my hometown team, and that's why I left Minnesota. But my heart's always in Minnesota. Yeah. And, and the, for the Sox, though, you got to play at Fenway. What was it like coming home to Fenway Park, Jeff? Oh, it was awesome, but I never realized I was a Red Sox fan my whole life, you know, and I was from Western Mass, so it wasn't like I was at a lot of games. Okay. You know, I had a pretty good three years there, but I never realized how tough the fans were. Oh, yeah. I think they're the toughest fans in baseball. They love you. They put you on a pedestal. But if you screw up, they will bury you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll let Minnesota. you know. Minnesota was the easiest place to play because, you know, the people there are so nice. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't take baseball as life and death. Red Sox fans did. <laughs> yeah, they take it a little bit more seriously, Jeff, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Let's talk for a minute, Jeff, about the Hall of Fame. In, in 2001, you were on the ballot for election into Cooperstown. You, you received votes on only 4.8% of the ballot, falling short of the required 5%. Now, that was pretty upsetting to you. You had a pretty good career. You put up good numbers, and and you fall short of the five percent. Not too good. No, I, that was the biggest disappointment in my life. Yeah, because when I broke, when I broke the record of Raleigh Fingers, you know, all the articles for years was saying I was going to be a first-time Hall of Famer. So when I came up with the Hall of Fame, I needed one more vote to get on the ballot, and then your votes go up. And then I had to wait 15 years or 10 years to go on the old-timers committee. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's the biggest regret in my life. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like they don't even realize what I did in the big leagues because I played for so many teams. Right. And some people believe it, it it is indeed a popularity contest. I mean, you have guys who uh, who didn't get along with with the fans or didn't get along with the press, and, and they take a beating in their Hall of Fame numbers. And yet, there's other guys who are media darlings who who waltz right in. I mean, uh, it, it it's unfair in a way, but unfortunately, that's what that's what we had to live with, and that. It doesn't look like there's anything soon that's going to change about uh, how people are voted into the hall. Yes, I agree with that all the way. I mean, there's a lot of, like my teammates that stayed in baseball as a coach or being an announcer. 
they got to know these writers personally, mm-hmm. you know, after they didn't get in the Hall of Fame first, but then they've gotten in the Hall of Fame. I wanted to come home and be with my family because I was gone for so so long. Sure. I didn't want to stay in the game. But I tell my wife, my kids, if I stayed in the game, I guarantee I would be elected to the Hall of Fame. So, yes, it's the biggest thing I don't like about my life. Biggest disappointment. There you go, folks, and and rightfully and I so, I believe. Up, I guess I come up for the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee in January, but they're going to do the same thing. They're going to say, like I was one of these new time relievers that went one inning, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't no. get that luck. Right. I mean, in the eighties, I was the. I had more saves than anyone in baseball. Right. And they weren't on any, you know. So it bothers me, but, I mean, what the hell can I do about it? Well, they're going to have to face that sooner or later, Jeff, the guys who threw one inning, uh, as they say, because that's that's all that's going to be coming up soon in in baseball is the guys that pitch one inning. Because the the days of of Goose Gossage and Raleigh Fingers and Jeff Reardon and Lee Smith are over. Three inning relievers, no, you'll never see that again in the game. So they're going to have to you're, face that sooner or later. You're right, and the thing I always say is, you know, the guys in the Hall of Fame. I won't even say Lee Smith because he pitched after, you know, more years after. But Goose Gossage, Bruce Souter, Raleigh Fingers, I did more than them. Mm-hmm. They're in the Hall of Fame. Right. You know how they say it doesn't do any good to complain, but, hey, I'm getting old. I want to <laughs> yeah, speak I know. my mind. I know. I know uh-huh. how you feel, Jeff. Yeah, I understand totally. Now, these days, uh, you're down in Florida. You, you, do you follow baseball at all? I follow baseball on all the apps. I don't sit there and watch it. Okay. But I do, I do know what's going on, you know. But, you know, my wife doesn't want to sit and watch a baseball game with me. After watching me for sixteen years, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you get. I don't blame. I don't blame her. The games are too long. Yeah, I know. It's it's it, they got to do something about that too, Jeff. You're right. Um, Jeff Reardon speaking with us tonight from from Florida uh, on Sports Talk New York. You get involved with the fantasy camps at all, Jeff? Yes, I I, I actually do. I've done them the last seven years. Nice. Okay. I do the, yeah, I do the Twins Fantasy Camp and the Red Sox Fantasy Camp, you know, for seven years. And I've had a lot of fun with that. So I do them every January. They've been trying to get me for years. But, you know, with the loss of my son years ago, I was in a depression. I really didn't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. So finally some guy talked me into doing it. And I love it because the guys love baseball. Yeah. That that's one place you're going to find guys that that, that want to be like you. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun to watch them play and try not to laugh too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all. Now, now you mentioned Kirby Puckett. You mentioned Tom Kelly as as uh, probably the greatest skipper that you played for. Uh, 
What about playing for the Yankees? You, you, you ended your career with the Yankees. You retired with the Yankees. Tell us about your time in New York. Yeah, that was tough. I mean, I, uh, I only had one, one team to go to. And my agent called me and said, Hey, uh, Steinbrenner wants to give you one more chance. I said, All right. I said, You know, I grew up a Red Sox fan. I really don't want to play with the Yankees. <laughs> he said, Well, it's either that or you're staying home. Yeah. I said, All right. I'll take that. He said, You got to shave. Oh, yeah. I said, Oh, another one of them, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I said, All right. I'll do that. But I was happy that George. Gave me the chance. Right. Yeah. You know, and I had a few good games with him. Uh, I didn't get along with Buck Showalter at all, even though everyone in New York loves him with the Mets. Yeah. Uh, he had used me, you know, as the closer, which I was hoping to get the chance again, uh, against the White Sox. Mm-hmm. And I saved all three games for the weekend. And then we were playing Seattle. And he got me up, like losing ten to two, and I never got in. But I had a little confrontation with him, like in the hotel. Why are you getting me up when you just <laughs> use me as a closer? Mm-hmm. Uh, all these young guys want to pitch, like Bob Boykman and all those guys, right? Who, who became a good closer? And he said, uh, because you have great stats against. Ken Griffey Jr. And I said, do you really think we're going to come back 10 to 2? He said, that's the way I manage. Yeah. He says, you don't like it? I said, no. Get me out of here. So we went back to, he just said, all right, I'll talk to George. So then we went out to, uh, I got in another game because George wouldn't release me. And Buck left me in when I had nothing like for five, six runs, you know, just left me in the die, and the next day I got released. Mm-hmm. So, hate to tell all New York Mets fans how much they love Buck. I never liked it. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. There's another yeah. side of Buck Showalter. You know what yeah, the thing yeah. is, Jeff, is that they're so starved for a winner here with the Mets, uh, as you as you well know. They're so starved for a winner, and they were so starved for a manager who knew something about baseball. Then, uh, aside from guys, you know, getting their first gig in the in the major leagues, that uh, he was welcomed with open arms here here with the Mets. But it, uh, like everything else, there's going to be guys that you disagree with, and, and uh, there you go right there. But uh, yeah. a, a lot of the guys I speak with have nothing but great things to say about George. Oh, yeah. I love George that he gave me the chance. Yeah. And Buck, and Buck is a great manager. I mean, I mean, because I didn't get along with him. It's not that he's not a great manager. I just didn't like what he was doing to me at the time. I think he's right. doing an excellent job with the Mets. And I think the Mets has, have an excellent chance uh, getting in the World Series. Yeah, the lead's down to one game now, Jeff. I'm, I'm you know, I, I've seen this one movie game. before, you know? <laughs> Yankees, too. They're down yeah. like four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, we'll, we'll have some fun with the last question I got for you, Jeff. 
with, with the uh, guys having these these walk in songs and everything when they come up to to bat when they come out to warm up on the mound. What would be your song when they brought you in uh, to a tight spot? Well, what would be uh, your anthem? Wow. I don't know really what my song would be. I mean, they call me the Terminator. Maybe they could have played uh, music from that. I know yeah. Diaz <laughs> comes in with this Narco. Yeah, that's kind of the, a, that's uh, Edwin Diaz. Yeah, from the Mets. Yeah, I listen to him. Like, I mean, why are people liking this? But I'm old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, that, that's, you, you know, that's correct. You never, they never had things like that when you guys played. You went in to play ball. You didn't come in to fanfare for the common man, you know, and things like oh, that. No, they, <laughs> they never had stuff like that. Well, Jeff, uh, I thank you for coming on with us. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you back on the show. And I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us up here in New York. It was great seeing you in Cooperstown. And uh, we, we'll have you back again soon. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot. You, you take care. That's Jeff Reardon, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll call for the left-hander and bring in Pete Falcone. So stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, folks, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. I hope everyone's having a wonderful weekend. We've had some great weather here in New York for the Labor Day weekend so far. Looking forward to some much-needed rain tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Uh, very disappointed at the New York Mets today. Took another 7-1 defeat at the hands of the lowly Washington Nationals. The lead now in the National League East is down to one game over the Atlanta Braves, who just do not lose. And uh, the Yankees having trouble as well against the Tampa Bay Rays, the team that's moving up in the standing against them. So, uh Things are getting tough. Things are looking grim, but uh, it's not the time to leave your team. It's the time to get behind them and uh, keep going. It's not over yet. So uh, that's what we'll do. The the Mets heading down to Pittsburgh should take advantage of, of uh, playing the Pittsburgh Pirates in beautiful PNC Park. So we shall see. Well, let's get back to the program. On our, our next guest, he spent time in the majors with the Giants, the Cards, of course, the Mets and the Atlanta Braves. He's a left-hander. He comes to us fresh out of Lafayette High School in Brooklyn. It's great to welcome back to the show Pete Falcone. Pete, good evening. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. 
Good, yeah, good, man. Good to have you aboard. Now let's talk about Thank you. Uh, Lafayette High School in Brooklyn. Of course, people will know that it's the same high school that spawned Hall of Famer Sandy Koufax. You were drafted by the Twins in the 13th round. You opted to go to Kingsborough Community instead. The Braves draft you. Uh, you didn't sign with them. Finally, the Giants come around uh, in the first round, third overall pick in 1973, and you signed with the Giants. Why did you wait till then, Pete? Uh, oh, boy. I don't think I was really mature enough to even sign out of high school. Uh-huh. I think at the time, uh, the Minnesota Twins, they signed me, and uh, uh, they, I remember the, the scout coming to my house and sitting down with me and my dad and my baseball coach, and I think he was stunned that we didn't sign. And I really had no leverage, but I, I, I was just very, very, very young. I was, I think I was 18. And yeah. Back then, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really understand what was, I knew I was drafted and I was a prospect for the Twins, but I think we tried to hold out for some more money, and I think he offered me like $8,000 or something, and uh, we, we said, ah, we'll think about it, and that was it. Yeah. And uh, he left my house mad. I, I remember he, <laughs> he was like, wow, I can't believe this guy turned my, turned me down, but we did. Yeah. It, it wasn't like we had an attitude. We didn't know, we didn't have, you know, really somebody negotiating for us. I didn't have any other than a great, uh, senior year in high school. It's all I really had going for me. I had no scholarships. I wasn't really the student type. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I was still working in a supermarket at the school. You know, that's the kind of guy, yeah, that's the way, the way it was back then. Sure. Yeah. No. And I decided to, hey, I'll go to, I'll go to junior college next year, Kingsborough, and, uh, which was a lot of my friends went there. A lot of, a, a lot, I knew a lot of people there. It was only in Sheepshead Bay, which is like a, you know, a hop, skip, and a junk from where I lived in Bensonhurst. Mm-hmm. So we went, decided to go there. And, uh, and honestly, at the time, I, I, I tell people the story, they don't believe me. I had to go to school, but I also had to work for a living. I, I it wasn't like my parents could, you know, fund me all the time. Yeah. I used to work the graveyard, I used to work the graveyard shift at a supermarket called Pathmark. Remember the Pathmark supermarket? Sure, yeah. We had one here yes. in West Babylon, yes. yeah. Well, I worked I worked the graveyard shift from like 11.30 at night to like 8 o'clock in the morning and then go home and have a couple of hours sleep and go to school. It was just wasn't happening. Yeah. I actually quit school, so I had to work. And I played on the, I was, matter of fact, I, was, I played on the team. I wasn't even in the school. I didn't go to class. I didn't, it's just it's funny, right? I, I talked to my college coach from years ago. He's a good friend of mine, uh, Lou Shore. I said, how in the world did you get me on the team? And I didn't even go to class or didn't even go to school. He said, we pulled some strings and got you like on a hardship case that you had to go to work because your parents couldn't afford for you to go to school and work. Yeah. So we got you on a hardship case to go to school. And I, and I was All-American that year in junior college. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah, you so can't, can't beat yeah, that, Pete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Great it's, story. It's, it's a story. People don't, yeah, I, I probably would have been like in – totally ineligible today in, in the NCAA. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, let's... Yeah, but I played, and, and then the Giants signed me after the season, and then went away. Right. You, you uh, I believe your first game was the second uh, game of a twin bill. Uh, the count pitched the first game, a complete game shutout. The second game, uh, you settled down after giving up, uh, I think, Ralph Gar, the roadrunner, triple to left field. And uh, the catcher Vic Carell hit a hit a two run homer, 
But uh, you won that game, and uh, the ninth inning was pitched, got the save. People may not know Randy Moffitt on the San Francisco Giants, oh, yeah? whose whose uh, sister is Billie Jean King. Yes, sir. How about yes, sir. that? How about that game, Pete? You remember that first game? I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it was uh, it was a nice day. My parents flew out from New York to see me play, uh-huh. and they surprised me. And uh, yeah, the very I think the very first pitch of the game, Ralph Carr hits a triple down the third base line, and he got around he got around the third base as fast as I've ever seen a man run. <laughs> I don't know how I don't, I don't know how it wasn't inside the park home run, but I've watched him. I'm like, this guy. I never seen that before, you know. Yeah, he could fly. I, he, I kept, I kept him from scoring, I, I, and uh, we, uh, I battled for a while. I think I maybe went about seven and two third or something. And uh, it was a home run. Somebody hit a home run, and I wound up in the game like five to two or something. Yeah, and, that was you know, it. That was it was exciting. It really was exciting. And then there was another start that season, Pete, against Atlanta. Uh, you struck out Cito Gaston to lead off the eighth. Larvell Blanks follows with a ground out, puts you four outs away from being the first National League rookie to pitch a no hitter since Bert Hooten in 1972. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. words were exchanged somehow between Vic Carell, their catcher, and the great Willie yeah. Montanez. Remember that? <laughs> Tell us yes, what I happened do. there. It was a, it was a Sunday afternoon. I know that it was very hot in Atlanta. You know what? Yeah. That game in August in Atlanta. And my parents came for that game too. They came down all the way from New York to drive down, and and uh, for some reason, for a couple of games that year, I just had the Braves number. I I, I just did, and uh, it was seven and two thirds. And Vic came up, and I believe I walked him, and right. uh, or he might have gone on an error. I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't remember. But Willie had a Willie had this had this thing. He would get behind a, the guy taking the lead, and with his glove, he pat him on the butt, pat him on the butt. You know, <laughs> just goof around and tease him. You know, it, 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 it was all fun. It was right. not. It was nothing facetious about it. He wasn't trying to pick a fight with nobody. But for some reason, Carell turned around and said, "Stop!" You know. Yeah. And I, I was in the mound, and I wasn't paying attention, but I could tell there was something going on. And I, I think he turned around and, and threw a punch at Willie. I, I don't remember. Next thing you know it, I'm standing on the mound, and both benches are clearing. The bullpen's cleared, and there's, there's this big, big thing going on, standing around. And I'm, okay, so uh, it might it might have lasted maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. So I'm back on the mound, and for me, stupidly, I didn't throw any I didn't throw any practice pitches. I didn't throw like a warm up, you know, a couple of just to get. And the first pitch I threw, uh, one of the infield got a base at the middle. Oh. Yeah, uh, Willie was ejected. I found out Willie oh, was, was ejected. ejected. Yeah, he was oh, ejected that. for oh, that okay. when order was restored. The great hot dog Willie Montanez had to leave the game, but uh, yeah, he was a character, right, Pete? Yeah, he was what they called the uh, the perro caliente, the, t- <laughs> the hot dog. You know? Yeah, I used to love. I I, I love. I used to love when he hit a home run. Oh He'd boy! Bases. It was. Oh my goodness, it's so funny. Have you ever well, seen? You know, have you ever seen uh, the chicken em- emulate him? The, probably did. Yeah, he I he does an did. imitation of Willie Willie Montanez running the bases for a home run. Uh, Ted Giannullis, the San Diego uh-huh. chicken. It yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> huh. does, does he still do that? He must be older now. I don't. 
I'm I'm okay. supposed to have him on Ted uh, in in uh, November for Thanksgiving. We're going to do oh, a chicken turkey interesting. show. Yeah, and uh, that is he was really something. He he's retired now. I think he may do it uh, here and there. But uh, yeah, he's he he was like the first major mascot in in the major leagues. Him, him and the, he opened the door for people like the fanatic and you know guys like that. Sure, sure. You know, I remember when he was in the minor. Uh, this came up, and as a matter of fact, I, I coached here where I live, Alexandria, and he was a uh, he came here for our 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 minor league team and did a big show. And yeah, went nuts. They, he, this is like a. 94 so then i lost track of him i, I don't know much loved yeah now yes yes now you, you come to the mets they trade uh you, you came from the cards to the mets they trade tom grieve who, who i remember i think yeah. he was an outfielder and kim seaman now i think i saw her in a movie in times square uh many many years ago that's that's what uh that name reminds me of uh <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you know what, Tom Tom Green Tom Green was a good ball player. Yeah, he yeah, he was good. good. Yeah, he he was of some renown. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in. Uh, I was doing. I was. See, I was. I did MLB replay, uh, replay tech for the for MLB for three years, and and uh, had a chance to be with the Global Ice Field a lot. Uh huh. And also Minute Maid. I go back and forth and and. I ran into Tom Grieve, and I, he didn't know who I was, and, and we got to, got, got to be kind of friends at the time, you know? Yeah. And he's one of the main announcers for the Ranger. I don't know if he still is, though. I, I don't know. I lost track. Tom Grieve, yeah. The, the, there's yep. a name for And I got folks. traded to there, yeah. and I got to tell you, I was damaged goods when I got to New York Mets. Why is that? In the Cardinals. I was really, yeah, I, was just, I went through a real, real, real straight time with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Went through a real hard time. Uh, you know, young pitchers go through these, these valleys and mine last for a good two years and, uh, I just couldn't pull myself out of it. I, I, I you know, you, you're young and you feel sorry for yourself and then you get down on yourself and you're not being successful and yet you still have a very, very high expectancy of yourself as a player. Yeah. And you, you get into that rabbit hole and, and the harder you try to climb out of the rabbit hole, the slipperier the walls get and you go deeper. And I remember going to, Puerto Rico that winter, and uh, I got released in Puerto Rico. I couldn't even pitch in Puerto Rico. I, was, I went home, and then the Mets uh, called me up. I think I think Joe Torrey called me up or something, and told me I was traded there. I said, "Really? Oh, it, it was okay, you know." Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, Lee Mazzilli's coming to my Lee Mazzilli came over to my house that day because you know Lee, Lee and I were friends years ago we, from, from from Sandlot, Brooklyn. Right? Yeah, Lee for years, and uh, and I was like, "Wow, okay," you know. Uh, and the, but the, that that first year going going to spring training with New York, uh, the Mets were very very. Oh, they gave me great favor. Uh, they Joe took me to spring training by myself two weeks before the pitchers got there. Okay, it was me. It was Millis, and it was me and him and Rube Walker, mm-hmm. and they actually hired my pitching coach from the Giants at the time. His name Don McMahon. Don McMahon was from Brooklyn. Don McMahon. Remember Don McMahon? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, he was my he was my pitching coach in the Giants, and they they drafted him to come and hired him to help me climb out of uh, the, the doldrums. Wow. Uh, mentally, physically, yeah, yeah. I I will always be respect for the Mets for that. What they did, they really went out of their way. And of course, 
you know, the team was terrible. Yeah. We had, we had a tough time. <laughs> yeah, there was some bad clubs. Well yeah. Nah, well, you know, it was, it was hard. You know, I was trying to think about that team. You know what we were? Remember the old Harlem Globetrotters uh, with Metal Lock Lemon and sure. Charlie Neal? Yeah. And, uh, remember, the team, remember the team they played against all the time? The Washington Generals. Yes, we yeah. were the Washington Generals at the National <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we had, yeah, we had, we had good, good, good players. We had good talent. We, we had, we had, we had good success sometimes, but at the end of, the, at the end of the game, eh, we got beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were the punching bag. Underst- you know? Understood. But, yeah. But I was, I will, I will always, I will always respect the Mets for that, for that organization, even though it was really in a tough time of transition. Uh, cause they were, they were going in the wrong direction. You mm-hmm. remember? Oh, yeah. And it was it was obvious up and down the whole organization. You, you could see it in spring training in big leagues. You could see it in the minor league complex. It was not a an organization that was looking looking to win. It was just trying to hold on, you know, and uh, hold on to the Titanic here. It was, but uh, then things now, of course, things changed. They started getting some really good draft picks. Yeah, yeah. They started adding ball players, which, like you said, they had talent, just couldn't win ball games. Oh yeah, yeah. You look. They always had good pitching in the organization. You look at look who came out of there. Mike Scott. Well, yeah, you're gonna have Jeff Reardon on Reardon on pretty soon, right? He, we just spoke. Yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah. Jeff was on. Yeah. I wish, I wish I could have a chance to say, well, well, Jeff came up. Mike Scott, Neil Allen, Jesse Orozco. Right, Neil Allen. Yep. Uh, these, yeah, these guys were these guys. These guys were legit, you know. And um, but and uh, on the bases and in the outfield and the everyday players, it was it was a dearth. There was nothing really. There was players there, but there was nothing. There was no impact player coming up. There was no leadership. There was no leader at all. No. You know, we were all we were all our own leader on the, on the team. You had twenty five individuals who were, you're your own leader. You're up here for survival to try to get through and stay in the big leagues. You know, do your best. Right. And guys played hard. A lot of folks don't realize that that met those met teams. Even though we played fifth and sixth sixth place every year, there was no fooling around. You played hard. You had to play hard. We just couldn't overcome Pittsburgh and Philly, you know, the Expos. Yeah, the, the, they were they were getting paid too. We're speaking to uh, the great Pete Falcone tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, there's one situation I want to ask you about, Pete. Uh, yeah, yeah. Y- you were pitching uh, two outs in the ninth, uh, lazy fly ball hit by Jeff Leonard. Remember Jeff Leonard? One, I had a funny feeling you were going to bring that up. One, yeah, one flop down, <laughs> Jeff Leonard. Uh, Lee Mazzilli yeah. catches it for the final out of the game, you would think, right? Meanwhile, Frank Tavares had got time out from Doug Harvey. Now, Harvey orders yep. Leonard back to the batter's box and orders the Mets yep. back on the field. And then, and then what, what, hap- exactly what, what right. happens? The, the game's given new life. Somebody hits a ball to Eddie Cranepool. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. Yeah, it was a, a, it was the last out of a shutout. I was throwing a shutout against the Houston Astros at Shea Stadium. Right, and you know shutouts aren't easy to come by in the major leagues for a pitcher. No, <laughs> when you get one, you're like, well, you cherish it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember. I think I might have. I think I might remember hearing somebody say timeout, but I threw it, and uh, he caught it, threw it in, and. I think I think John Stearns was catching or Alex Trevino. I'm not sure. We're shaking hands, and I was like, "Wow, two shutout, man! Complete thing shutout." And then I hear, "Whoa, somebody called timeout!" All right, so it must have been three or four minutes, maybe. You know, all the, all the hubbub. Right. 
I was, as a matter of fact, I was walking, I was walking off the field towards the, the Met dugout. Everybody was. And then, <laughs> then Doug Harvey calls everybody back and Joe, Joe comes out mad. Well, what, what's this all about? Well, Frank did call timeout. I don't know why he called timeout. There was nobody on base. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. But anyway, I, I said, okay, I, I'm good. So we went, we went back to them. I went to back to the mound. The team goes out there and, uh, I remember getting into my windup and turning my body like I, I turned towards first base to deliver, and I saw Eddie Crinkle running out of the dugout. <laughs> he wasn't in position uh, yet. Yeah. No, he, Eddie was. Eddie was. Eddie back in those days was, was that guy. When the game is over, he's gone. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> a lot of guys did that. I did that too. But he's running out. He must have been maybe ten feet from the coacher's box. <laughs> and uh, I think Jeff hit a ground ball to shortstop, and Eddie was not there. Uh, <laughs> what really is strange about that is there's a first-base coach there. There's also a first-base umpire, and and we had Doug Flynn at second base. You mean to tell me you did not re- realize there was no first baseman? It's not my it's not my job to look at, you know. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm zeroing it in. you got I'm other things to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Joe didn't see it. I mean, Joe Torrey didn't see it. <laughs> Nobody in the bench seen anything. The home plate umpire. I just think it was like a, a vapor lock for the whole for the whole stadium that day. And as it turned out, we had a we had to uh, finish the game the next night. So I I went home that night with an eight and two thirds shutout with an incomplete game. Wow! And the next night. Uh, my buddy, uh, Kevin Coble, remember Kevin Coble? Yeah, me. Kevin Coble, sure. Yeah, yeah, he went out there and got the last out. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a combined shutout. That, it was, yeah. it was quite, quite Metzian. Let's, let's leave it at that, Pete. It was a very Metzian that's moment. The way it, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it was back then. And all these bizarre things. I remember going and losing 15 games in a row at one time. And, uh, we would just go to the West Coast. And, Without winning a game, or maybe winning one game, it was, just, it was very tough. It was oh. very tough. It was very hard on everybody. Very hard on everybody, and the press was miserable. Oh, they they pounded us. You remember yeah. correctly? Oh yeah. Oh man, they they didn't they didn't they did not they, they you talk about spiking the ball over somebody. Oh. Relentless. Yeah, that was it. Relentless. Now, yep. now one of the but things it was that the they whole organization. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one of the things they did uh, when things were supposedly starting to turn around, Pete, was they brought in Bamberger, George Bamberger, who was uh, pitching coach for the, uh, for the Orioles under Frank Cashin, and uh, he had success as the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. He comes in in, in 82. What was it like playing for Bambi? Terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very candid. It was just, it, 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 there's nobody who could have come, in, come into that team and just act like, you know, all right, we're, we're good now. There's, there's no, there's no major league manager today who's successful who can go to, go to them Met teams back then and just be successful. Turn it around. Yeah. Happen. You just can't do it. I mean, Joe, we'll, we'll look at Joe Torrey. You know, Joe was, uh, very successful with the Yankees. He was the same guy with the Mets. He sat down, watched the game, made the lineup out, and he had the horses. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sparky, uh, you know, the guy in St. Louis that was, was, uh, was a great, Whitey, Whitey Herzog. Uh, Whitey, Whitey, yeah. Tommy Lasorda. They just had the horses. We just had, you know, we just didn't have it. We didn't have the, we didn't have leadership. 
You know, I, I think know. the worst thing the Mets ever did in those years was trade Tom Seaver away. Oh boy, that's a, you know, that was a killer. Nothing, yeah. nothing against my nothing against my buddy uh, Matt Pat Zachary and Doug Flynn and and you know um, those guys. Those guys are great players. They were great guys. Uh, the outfielder Joel Youngblood, but I think that really hurt the spirit of the Mets organization. I mean, you had no leadership back then. You had nobody to look to, no mentor. It was like at least in St. Louis, we had Lou Brock and Ted Simmons, and you know, we had nothing in the Mets. You had all these young guys walking around with their their heads up their butts, not, not, not really trying to you know trying to be the leader. But you know, but Tom Seaver was that guy. He was the uh, you know he was Joe DiMaggio. You yeah. know, he was that guy that everybody looked to and wanted to be around. Not not New York. No, we had the, great players. It, Dave Dave Kingman, but Dave was. Dave was a very shy man. He he didn't he saved himself. George Foster saved himself. There was nobody there. No. That that was I a gut that punch, Pete. A real gut punch to the organization from which they never recovered. Um, I don't know about that. But I think that was a mistake. And that and, and I'm not you know I'm not, not you know disparaging Pat Zachary and Doug Flynn and Youngblood and uh, you know the 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 outfield was his name. Henderson. Uh, Steve yeah, Henderson. Yeah, nothing, nothing against those guys. Those guys were good players. They were hard, hard-nosed players. But just, it wasn't the same. Yeah, I, I'd have loved to have been around Tom Seaver. They, they had a you thankless know, job, Pete. A thankless job coming in and trying to uh, be compensation for a Hall of Famer, for the franchise. I mean, they they weren't going to succeed no matter what they did, those poor guys. Yeah, it was one of those things that um, it's it just broken. And it's got to, it's it's got it's got to break. It's, yeah. it's got to break and break down. Then you got to rebuild it again. Uh, and then they made some good drafts and they made some great trades. Getting Keith years later with Keith and Gary Carter and Ted, right. you know uh, Ray Knight. But those years, I I I just think it, it hurts the spirit of the Mets big time. Even even Kuzi, even Jerry Kuzman. Mm-hmm. Well, you know they got rid of him. They, well, they got a Roscoe for him, but Jerry Kuzman, you don't you don't get rid of Jerry Kuzman. No, another guys, one. Yeah, guys just you know, I thought it was so weird years ago when I I I I, I put a TV on. I see Tom Seaver in a White Sox uniform. Yeah, remember the old remember that old ugly White Sox the uniform? old softball uniforms. Yeah, so <laughs> this guy looks like a what is he wearing that for? He doesn't belong in that uniform. He's met pinstripes. Right. You know, even seeing him in a even seeing him in a Red Sox uniform and the. You know, I said, ah, oh, something's wrong here. Something, somebody made a big mistake. And they, did. you know, when, when, yeah. when, when the Mets traded him away, he was—he still had the goods too. He was not no, uh, you know, junk baller. He no, was he wasn't finished by a long shot, not at all. I mean, he threw—he threw a no hitter the next year, and I was—I was there, and it was the Cardinals. He threw no hitter against the Cardinals. I was there. He was running—he was running it up there pretty good. I said, man, what's this guy doing here? What are you doing in a red uniform? You should be. You know, <laughs> It's one of those things you make mistakes, but I think it really hurt. You're right. You're right. I closed with this question with Jeff Reardon. He was kind of stumped on it, Pete. Let's see what you have to say. Uh, These days, everybody's got a walk-up song. Batter comes to the plate. They're playing Leonard Skinner. Uh, The pitcher comes in. They're they're blasting. who is Metallica for Mariano Rivera? What would be your song when you're coming in to to, to pitch? What would be your walk-in music? You know what? In St. Louis, we did that, and uh, the the organ player he played the Peter Gunn. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Peter Gunn. 
And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell him to do that. You know, interesting. I didn't tell him to do that. I'd rather him play something like you know, uh, you know, whole lot of love or something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, on the on the on the you know, uh, on the Hammond organ. Yeah. No, but every 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 player on the uh, on the uh, the Cardinals had their own song. And um, clever, yeah. But uh, it was it was something, uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if they still do that. They still do that. Oh yeah, the, the, these guys forget it. The, the, well, yeah, they do do that. Yeah, the Rangers, the Rangers did that. The Rangers did that, but it, it wasn't it wasn't an organ play. It was the actual song. They sneeze and they'll come out with a song for it. You know. Just yeah, yeah. Well, Pete, I want to uh-huh. I want to tell you thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us up here in New York. Uh, we'd like to have you back with some great stories that you tell. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about some other candid, things too, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Life in general. Let's get it off our chest here, folks. Yeah. Thanks yeah, again. Let's, thanks let's, again, let's, Pete. Let's Trish. I will stay in touch well, with thank you. Thank you, Bill. Please well, do. Thank you so much. All the best. That's Pete Falcone, folks. That'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Jeff Reardon and Pete Falcone, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. See you next on September 18th. Keep an eye out on my social media for guest info. Some more great sports talk coming your way. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.